This is the Horse Radio Network. You're listening to the Stall and Stable Show. Ideas for happy horsekeeping. In my travels this summer, I visited several big barns and even more smaller ones. There are at least a hundred new tips I can share with you that I took away from my travels, but I'll start with just 10 of the most important. If you want horses to be your livelihood, there are best practices that will help ensure you do that and that you do it well. In all fairness to the horses, really, we owe it to them to make sure we bring our very best selves to every encounter with them. So listen in for 10 tips that will keep your horses safe and you sane. This is episode 103 of the Stall and Stable Show, brought to you by American Stalls. Welcome back, listeners. Today's Wednesday, September 21st, and I'm your host, Helena Harris. Please support this podcast by supporting our sponsors. In addition to American Stalls, I'm grateful for the support of Tangent Materials, makers of Tangent Fencing. Horse stall equipment is one of the largest investments that you'll make for your horse's safety and comfort. This is why American Stalls focuses on equipment that fits more than just the inside of your barn. Their mission is to design products that fit your farm, your design goals, and your lifestyle. And it all has to stand the test of time. You know what they say, do it right or do it over. Well, no one in the horse world has the time or the money to do things over. So doing it right the first time means doing it with American Stalls. To learn all about their extensive selection of fine stall equipment, visit them online at AmericanStalls.com or follow them on Facebook and Instagram, where you'll find lots of great photos of their products. Welcome back, gang. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast. (sighs) I just came in from working my horses. I set up a reverse round pen in my ring and... um, It's kind of a hot mess. You know, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I fully expected I was going to introduce Brody to it and Susie to it. And they would just be like, oh yeah, we know what we're doing. But how stupid am I? I did the reverse round pen work with Clarabel, not with Brody or Susie. I've done Liberty work with Brody and Susie. I've done uh, what we call free lunging, you know, where I stand in the middle of a circle in the arena and they, they go around me or in a round pen. So I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Anyway, it was pretty funny. Thankfully, I didn't have the video running because, um, yeah, I just figured, let me just make sure I know what I'm doing out here. And uh, it would have been absolutely humiliating if that was caught on film. So I'm a little hot and bothered, but that's okay. I'm now in the studio, in the air conditioning, and ready to talk to you about some things that I learned over the summer. I traveled near and far from the West Coast to the East Coast, North to South and all over the place. And of course, I talked to hundreds at this point, hundreds of clients throughout the country about their farms, what they're setting up, small ones, big ones, private, commercial. You know, there's so many tips that I have to share with you. But for this episode, I wanted to share the top 10 that were at the front of my mind. I guess these were um, tips. These are tips that have to do with scenarios that left the greatest impression on me. Like, all right, we've got to fix this. These things can't happen. Or this is a piece of advice I absolutely have to share with my listeners this week. So this is a curated list and we're going to get started. Uh, Number one, I know this is kind of a big one, nothing like me, you know, to, to come out of the gate with something huge. 
limit the number of stalls on your property to a maximum of 15. Yes, there's dead silence there because I'm letting that sink in. 15. There's a whole nother episode that we can go into about how to make 15 stalls work, what that business model looks like, but I promise you that you can make money, you can support yourself, you can pay your bills with 15 stalls. But I have seen time and time and time again, trainers, businesses, with 17, 18, 26 horses, 40 horses. Now, I know that there are really big commercial operations where you have 40 or 60 horses. I understand that. Those will also have an operating uh, or will also have operating costs that support that many horses. That's a whole nother level of business model. We'll talk about that at some point. But for right now, for most of the small business owners who are horse professionals, who wear many hats, and who are also trying to attain their own personal goals, 15 is the maximum that you can take care of with a staff you can afford to pay without doing your horses any harm. It's the only way that you can provide quality care, really good service to both the horses and your clients, and like I said, wear the many hats that barn owners have to wear in in 2022. So instead of making your revenue streams wider with more horses, make them deeper with your existing horses. Something for you to think about. Number two, use a bleeping spreadsheet to get a clue about your cash flow. You cannot know how to schedule your lessons, training rides, shows, your day without knowing how many hours you need to book to make the income you need to make. Period. End of story. If you can't easily pull up a one-page worksheet that lists your income and your expenses, you're going to struggle. And guess who suffers when you struggle in your business? The horses. It's not fair, and it's totally preventable. And just because you have an accountant or you look at your income and expenses at the end of every year when you're doing your taxes, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is something called financial projections, also called assumptions. This is a spreadsheet that lists the services that you offer, the rates that you charge, and then down below there's a little table. It's super simple, easy math, but it's a little table that says, I need to sell or I need to book 25 lessons in a month in order to make X amount of dollars. I need to book 55 training rides in order to make X amount of dollars. I need to coach X amount of shows in order to make X amount of dollars. You you cannot run your business without knowing this information. And it is so easy. It's ridiculous if you don't do it. I'm shaming you. Yes, I am. Who has time, right? You only have to set it up once. Maybe look at it once a quarter, twice a year. But you just need to set it up so you know how to book your day and how many hours you need to sell. Please promise me that you will take this seriously. Actually, I'm going to do a free webinar on it in the very near future. I'm going to take a screenshot of my spreadsheet, this, the Stolen Stable Financial Projections spreadsheet, and I'm going to walk people through it. I'm going to show you how it works. And you can do one of your own or you can buy mine. But I think a lot of small business owners are intimidated by this, and uh, you shouldn't be. I have a very difficult time with any kind of math or accounting, and if I can do this, so can you. Number three, and and this is all over the place. This is just 
you know, me jotting my notes, you know, taking from my notes and turning them into an episode. Number three, put your paddocks close to the barn. There is a lot of money wasted when your staff has to make multiple long walks from the barn to the paddocks. So make turning your horses out and in the easiest job there is. So if you are just building a farm now, talk with your architect, talk with your landscape designer or your fence person or me and talk about where you want to set up your fencing, how you want to arrange your paddocks, where your barn is, do you want in and outs, but do your best to keep your turnout as close to the barn as possible. You will save so much money in labor and your staff will be happier. Walking back and forth from barn or resources like the feed room or the wash stall to your paddocks is a waste of time. Nothing else can be done in that time. And it eats up a lot of hours. And it's frustrating to staff. So plan your paddocks close to the barn. Number four, not being stalled is fabulous for horses. And if you're a regular listener to this show, you know that I'm all about more time outside is the best, right? As, as much turnout time as we can give our horses as possible is the best thing for them. However, you can't just leave them outside in a paddock 24-7 without real shelter. As climate change thins the Earth's ozone layer, the sun's UV rays are harsher than ever. Horses need a break, not just from the heat, but from those rays and the bugs, and even the stimulation of what's going on around the farm. Put up some run and sheds if your plan is for 24-7 turnout. A tree line isn't always enough unless you've got really thick, uh, a really thick wooded area where it, it stays cooler and the bugs are fewer. But, you know, some horses won't go into the woods in order to get the shade or the respite they need from the elements. And you can get run and sheds used. You can get them pretty cheap. Most handy people can put some up themselves. I want to say most, many. It's a worthy investment in your paddocks. So if you want to save money on labor by, you know, not having to turn your horses in and out all the time or on shavings, you know, what we call those cost of goods sold, basically how much it costs you per stall to keep a horse in that stall, you, you save money by leaving your horses out but you definitely need to give them shelter. Number five, put a solid door on your feed room. It's disgusting to be preparing your horse's food while fighting flies and rodents. It's also much safer to have something solid and lockable between a potentially escaped horse and your stores of grain. And your barn manager, your staff, they need to focus on setting up dinner, setting up grain, supplements, medications, they need to focus on that. And when your feed room is open to the entire barn or it's not set off to the side, it's very easy for staff to be interrupted by well-meaning clients and other you know, people coming and going. And they really need to focus on their job. What happens in the feed room is really important. So if you can, make sure that you've got a solid door at the front of that feed room or it's set off someplace quiet and out of the way. Number six, speaking of flies, here's a suggestion for cutting down on the number of flies in your barn. Strip your stalls and power wash the walls. If you don't have the time to do all of the walls, make sure you wash or scrub the wall area around the feed buckets or your feed pans, wherever you put them. 
feed buckets are a huge magnet for flies, right? Flies like to congregate wherever there's decaying organic matter. And grain is super easy for them to get to, especially if you soak or you, you, know, you soak grain or you feed mash. My horses are pretty messy. My mares are pretty messy when they eat. And I went away for a couple of days and the person who was taking care of the horses did a, a very nice job, but she oversoaked their mash <laughs> and it was really soupy. And there is now mash, dried feed all over the walls in their stalls. And the number of flies that now congregate in those areas is tenfold. So I went and scrubbed those walls and voila, all the flies are gone. Okay. So they do, yes, they, flies are attracted to manure. They are attracted to old feed matter. They're also attracted to, um, when we talk about decaying organic matter, any hay that's left over that's allowed to sit and rot. So if you got piles of hay, you know, where they just sort of accumulate and you lift up that pile and you can see it's moist and sort of matted and starting to turn black under there, that is starting to decay and flies will breed, eat, and have parties in there. So keeping your barn clean and tidy isn't just about how it looks. It's about keeping the flies away. Again, if you don't have the time to power wash your stalls, Go in with a scrub bucket or a brush and just get the feed stuff off of the walls around their feed buckets and take their feed buckets out. Make sure you rinse them on a regular basis and scrub them at least once a week. Number seven, fall is a great time to declutter your barn, right? We're talking about being tidy. Fall is a great time to get all that junk off the floor, uh, stuff that you don't need that's collecting dust. Take an inventory of summer items that you don't use often and put them neatly away in labeled containers, okay? Even a piece of duct tape um, or painter's tape and a Sharpie. Whatever is going in a container, label it. So if you do need something in a hurry, you're not going to turn your tack room upside down looking for it, okay? You can do really nice labels later when you have time, <laughs> as if, uh, but just grab some tape to label your containers so you know what's in them. The long and short of it is, the less crap you have sitting around your barn, the safer it will be and the more efficient things will run. Number eight, if you're shopping for a horse property that you intend to use as a commercial boarding or training facility, turn down anything that's on a busy road. I don't care how cheap it is, how perfect the barn is, busy roads and horse farm life do not play well together. Don't do it. And just in case I'm not clear, don't do it. Wait for the right property to come along. I get a lot of phone calls from horse professionals who are desperate to get out of the situation that they're in. They either have a conflict with the farm owner or uh, sharing resources with other trainers is really difficult. You get yourself into a desperate place and you make bad decisions especially if something affordable comes up. But I cannot emphasize enough how dangerous a busy road and a busy horse farm are together. You've got horses, you've got kids, you've got dogs, you've got cats. It's not worth it. I've been there. I've seen the, <sighs> I've seen the downside of that risk. Number nine. Another way to save money on labor costs is to make sure that brooms, shovels, 
muck buckets, and carts are all within easy reach of your aisle way. It's a small upfront investment for a few extra brooms and buckets, but if your boarders have the cleanup supplies they need nearby, you'll find they're much better about cleaning up after themselves and their horses. I mean, how many times did you like, oh, geez, my horse just pooped in the aisle way, but you're in the middle of this, that, and the other thing. You don't want to leave your horse on the cross ties alone. If you make brooms and shovels and buckets easily accessible, I think you'll find a greater team effort in keeping the barn tidy. And number 10, take this from my personal lesson, um, <laughs> sharp edges and protrusions. From bucket hangers and stalls, let me tell you, the eye injuries from those things are ridiculously common, ask any veterinarian, to tea posts without top caps. Please be assured that a horse will hurt themselves on these things. So remove them, cover them, or replace them with something safer. If you haven't been following on Facebook, I had a bad situation with Clarabelle where it was a little bit rainy. The horses were not in for a couple of days, but they didn't have the room and the, the grazing time that they usually get. So there was a little pent up energy. And uh, it was the night before we were leaving to bring Grace to college and we were flying out of town the next morning. And uh, the horses were running around and they weren't getting too crazy, but the ground was just slick enough where Clarabelle, who was galloping up the hill in my field, saw the big rock outcropping at the top of it. The, ho the horses all know it's there. She saw it, put on the brakes, and tried to stop before she hit it. But the ground was just soft enough where she slid into it. She caught the front cannon bone with the edge of the rock, then banged her knee on it. And now here we are two weeks later, and I'm still changing a bandage every day. And I've got a $2,000 vet bill. That rock outcropping has been there since we converted the, our, this house into a farm. And I knew that it should be fenced off. I knew that it was dangerous. But I was biding my time and accepting the risk that, you know, hopefully my horses would avoid it. And they have quite well until they didn't. So I say this all the time. It's not a matter of if your horse is going to run into something. It's when. And, and it's not, that's not being fatalistic or cynical. <laughs> it's it, from, I mean, even split rail fencing is dangerous, right? Um, hooks, T-post, barbed wire, get rid of it. It is not worth it. I mean, we hear about catastrophic paddock accidents all the time. People don't usually tell you what that catastrophic paddock accident involved. And I think it's because a lot of times it's something that was preventable. Now, we can't prevent everything. Horse takes a funny step, that's it. That could be the end of them. I get that. But our job as the humans, as the thinkers, as the, the creatures with a, a prefrontal cortex who can use logic to think, we have to look around our farm and say, what are the risks and what can I reduce? A T-post, put a plastic cap on it. It's $7.99 for a bag of plastic caps or, I don't know, $12.99, right? That's something. Replace barbed wire or cow wire with polytape. It doesn't take that long. Anything that's protruding or sharp, in my case, I should have just put 
a little fencing around that rock. Now, don't go out in your paddocks and be like, oh my God, I need to fence off or dig up every single rock. But look at the risks and think about what could happen, what kind of horses you have in your barn, what's their turnout like, what kind of energy does each horse have. Some are klutzier than others. Make this a priority. Assess your farm and look around for potential risks, things that could be catastrophic, and then do your best to get rid of them one by one. You don't have to do it all at once. Don't let it overwhelm you. Just start to chip away at these things. Every season, maybe pick one thing that you can make a little bit safer. Thankfully, I can ride Susie, but Clarabelle's down for the count. We just got started. We just got started and we were moving forward. We were making progress. I was so excited. Now she's on the IR list. (laughs) I know most of my listeners do not have very deep pockets or multiple horses to ride if one gets injured. So there is a middle ground between bubble wrapping them and keeping them in a stall 24-7 and just letting them out into the fields. So let's find that middle ground and, and we'll start by just looking around for things that are risky and unsafe and seeing what we can do about them. I do think Clarabelle is going to be fine. Thankfully, um, there were no fractures. The bursa inside of her knee, you know, the joint capsule was didn't break. Uh, in fact, the knee looks pretty good. Uh, there were no fractures to the cannon bone. And in fact, we did. she was developing some proud flesh. So the vet had to come back a couple of days later and debride the wound, get rid of all that. Basically, proud flesh is when, the, when a horse's body tries to heal a wound constantly. It never stops. It thinks that the wound actually is a foreign body in and of itself. So it develops all this granulated tissue and it just keeps trying to heal and um, it gets pretty gross. So the vet comes in and she scrapes out all of that suspect tissue so that we've got a clean, fresh wound. It bleeds a bit. And uh, then we start to treat, you know, we wrap it, we bandage it, we ice it, we do all that stuff. Um, So we're about five days into that and it's looking better, but uh, it's going to be a while before she's rideable. Uh, Let's see what else I got for you. I'll have some more tips. Um, I've got that webinar I said that's coming up on the financial projections. I also have, oh gosh, you know me, I've got a gazillion things that are going on, all these great ideas. Um, But one is what I call, I don't have an official name for it yet, but it's called healthy farm design. And when talking about putting your paddocks close to the barn and how to create a turnout situation that saves you on labor costs, but also allows your horses to have the shelter that they need, have the turnout that they need, have the self, um, have the exercise space that they need. There are two plans that we drafted, and um, I came up with them. And my daughter Grace, who's a sketch artist, she sketched them out, and we're going to make those available for download from the Stall and Stable website. So be sure to check stallandstable.com for that. That'll be coming soon. And I do appreciate all of your emails, your kind words, and your questions and your inquiries. So I love to hear from you. If you got questions, you're a farm owner, you're a professional rider, trainer, you're in the boarding business, you're thinking about it, go to stallandstable.com, book an appointment. I am happy to talk to you about your specific situation and uh, either get you materials, walk you through financials. Sometimes it's just dealing with employee issues. I am here for you. There is help. You're not alone. 
So again, stallandstable.com. If you're a private farm owner, click on private consulting. If you are a professional, you can click on consulting for farm professionals. Thank you again to my sponsors, American Stalls and Tangent Materials. I have to tell you, right now, my farm is a mess. I'm looking at my split rail fencing and I hate it. And I cannot wait for the opportunity to replace it with Tangent Materials. I love their fencing. It's HDPE, it's recycled plastic lumber, but it looks really good. I I mean, I'm picky. It looks beautiful. It's safe for horses. It has just enough flex in it so that they don't crash and burn, but it's strong enough to keep them in where they need to be. So I encourage you to check out Tangent Materials. You can find links at stallandstable.com forward slash fencing. And that is going to be a wrap for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. 